podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Video podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Denny and this is Malby on the Spot. Your final chance this season to hear the wit and wisdom of my friend Jan Malby, the Liverpool legend who's here to talk to us about that very club. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Trevor. We're almost there, aren't we? It feels like the longest season ever. It was in almost every way conceivable. Um, It's been painful and so atypical for us recently that I think it's been difficult to endure on on, a number of levels. It's done now. We can effectively do a season review. Our usual thing of commenting on the game that went past and looking forward to the game that's come up is now irrelevant, really, uh, going into this last round fixtures. There are still some things we can talk about, obviously, game-related. But it's kind of season review time now, Jan. And like you said, apart from the fact it was kind of painful and long, drawn out, because for all the obvious reasons, if we're to reflect now and start taking stock um, of lessons learned and things to reflect positively and negatively on. Let's just try and do that. So straight out the gap, let's get the awkward stuff out of the way. As you reflect on that season, it's safe to say mistakes were made. It's safe to say there was some misfortune when it comes to injury and the like. But the preparation perhaps going in wasn't what it should have been. You reflect on that summer window and all that type of thing. What do you think were the big reasons behind the lackluster season that we all endured? I, I hope I hope it's a number of things. Uh, mm. You know, I hope it's not as easy to pinpoint as maybe some people would like it to be. You know, I would like it to be a combination of things. And some of the things you say will obviously sound cheap, to non-Liverpool fans, they'll go, it's just an excuse. Uh, but you start off with the season we had before this season. And the physical and mental scars, you take from that, take that into the season with you. Develop short break. A pre-season that the manager particularly didn't want. You know, he, he didn't want to go where the club asked him to go. It was impossible to train either because of rain or because of the heat and because of things that they had to attend to. Uh, and then, of course, next season from the club, I have to say, in terms of what's not strength in, in midfield. Uh, numbers is not the same as quality. We, we had plenty of midfield players, but we just didn't have, we just didn't have that one midfield player who would make us, make our midfield a Premier League midfield. Uh, we we sort of lack that. People say, "What about Thiago?" Yes, but we, we you know, poor kid, we can't rely on him. Uh, he's just he's just not available. Uh, unexpectedly, I have to say, you could, nobody could have foreseen what happened with Fabinho uh, for, for such a long time uh, during the season. Uh, then there was a loss of form from key players, uh, which is something you expect, but something again you can't predict. Uh, and where, where do you start with, with the loss of form? Whether that's Trent, whether that's Virgil, uh, whether that's Virgil, all of our midfield players. And there will even be people saying Mo Salah. Although Mo at the end of it has, 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 has had a good season, uh, but maybe his overall play hasn't been of the levels that we, we, we've come to, uh, to expect. And of course, the manager will look back at certain decisions he made uh, and think, oh, maybe I could have done that different. Maybe I could have reacted quicker. Uh, but 
but, but if you have to find one reason, I guess it's the one reason that all Liverpool fans come back to. And that is the fact that we didn't strengthen in midfield. We didn't do that in January. We didn't do that in the summer window. We didn't do that in the previous one. Uh, and we paid a heavy price for that. It begs a question um, that just occurs now, and it, it's taken us out of the flow of the conversation, but it will be daft not to address it. I was reading Jurgen's comments today, Jan. I don't know if you saw them. It was in relation to player availability and potential signings. And he was saying things along the lines of, look, you know, uh, if, if, if clubs are aware you want a player, they're going to be less willing to let him go at a decent price. So there's going to be more wrangling was the implication. And so he was saying things like, well, it could take up to six to seven weeks and that's no problem. Now, previous to this, he had been saying things like, you know, we'd like to get things done early. And that was the general briefing that was coming from journalists is Liverpool are going to get their business done early. And we've been hearing the Alexis McAllister rumours and all that kind of stuff. And the reason I bring that up, Jan, is because it brings me back to the pre-season interviews that Kloppo was doing, where he was almost sneering at people who were suggesting that we were inadequately prepped in midfield. Um, He was quite condescending in the way that he spoke to people and reporters who suggested that to him. Um, All of them have been proven to be correct, and sadly for us, the manager was either putting up a smoke screen at the time and deliberately talking shite or genuinely believe that. And so I find myself coming around full circle and wondering, we were wondering really a, a, a while there, several periods during this season, have certain people lost their way, perhaps even including the big man, um, in terms of some of the daft things that they seem to be saying that contradicted reality. Is that a concern for you or, or do you think hard reset gets get in the rele- relevant players and as somebody pointed out to me who tried to make out that I was whinging six seven weeks is still in time for preseason training so don't be crying what's your take on that in terms of where Jurgen might be going with the whole thing well you just mentioned a, a hard reset and I think that's where we're at we haven't really had that in in, in previous seasons We've always felt that we needed to do maybe more than what we did. But when it didn't happen, we weren't particularly bothered. Because you look and you go, yeah, but we're okay. You know, like you said last week when we did the show, you haven't particularly looked at the transfer market for the last five years because you always felt that we had about what we needed. Uh, so there was no need to get too busy with, with that. But all of a sudden now, we're all over every room, arm, we? We're looking at every player up because we're desperately isn't it? So I think the hard reset goes to club as well. Uh, and I think we've we've heard little things. I mean, Jordan Henderson was talking about training and the fact that training is different and the drills are different. And we can obviously see with our own eyes that the team is trying to play in a slightly different way, isn't it? So maybe maybe this is the when you don't see the signs, it's bad, isn't it? Mm. Well, I think Klopp have seen the signs just in time to rectify it. You know, just before the season ends. He's finally realised that this group of players and the way that we play, we need we need we need help, and we need to be more flexible in the way that that we play. And it it looks that way. I just hope he doesn't go back to what he knows in terms of he swears by his pre-seasons, doesn't he? You know, he's chucked pre-seasons uh, with a load of tactical work. I hope he doesn't go back and think I've now got a little bit of time to work on what we know. Uh, let's go a different route. Uh, we, we, we've asked for fresh eyes to look at the situation and those fresh eyes can even come for the manager. So I'm not overly concerned. Uh, but I agree, 12 months ago, he said what he did. Uh, unfortunately, he talked quality, uh, quantity ahead of quality. But I even think Trevor, to a certain extent, we kind of bought into it and thought, we can get away with that. We'll get away with this again. We didn't. Yeah. Yeah, story of the season is those last six sentences of yours. And uh, yeah, there's more to talk about with preseason later on. There's a, a really interesting story that emerged during the the, the day there that I, I found that, that I want to run past you. But just in terms of keeping it on track to look, looking back at 
what we've all sort of, like I say, endured this year and trying to keep on track there. Is there a really strong argument to be made for the fact that I was uh, lucky enough to be in the stadium to see the farewells to um, Bobby and James Milner and Oxley Chamberlain and Abby Keita? And it was all quite um, nice and pleasant. And particularly for Bobby, I thought it was a remarkably um, emotional day, I think, for the whole squad. Uh, I honestly think that might have been quite a factor in in how awful we were in the first half. Um, It genuinely felt like that because the fans, the energy was incredible. Even just out in the concourse, just before the game at halftime, the chant was endless for for me though it was just incredible it was it was like a religious experience almost and it didn't match what we were seeing on the pitch at all and as i was watching the lads yan uh receiving their various trinkets and getting their send-offs um i was thinking to myself there's probably going to be more than these four these are the ones we know are out of contract and all that and then i saw footage of costa simicus crying and looking very distraught and i'm thinking okay he's very fond of one of those four lads or he might be on his way and we know queeving kelleher is very much up for sale and um, you would imagine there are others in that bracket as well perhaps John Matip or or Joe Gomez or some of these guys now does that mean that the very fact that there's so many bodies likely to leave you're looking at we know four we're looking probably I would imagine it's going to end up around seven of the first team squad in total just by dint of re replenishing the squad and taking in those new new bodies and new faces and assuming they're of good quality that itself will contribute massively won't it to whatever staleness might have set in um shaking that off and perhaps reinvigorating the place you know because we got little sniffs of it with Luis Diaz coming in that time and there was great excitement about Darwin Nunes and Cody Gakpo seems to be very well admired and all that kind of thing. But I'm thinking if we just blast it with like four new top end recruits, which we all are hoping will happen, that in itself will have a reset effect, won't it, for manager, squad, the whole thing? I'll be amazed if it doesn't. Uh, it, it will have an impact. It will have an impact on a group that is as tight knit as ours. I mean, let's not forget uh, this group of players and more or less all of them been there right the way through. I know there's a couple of newcomers, but generally uh, the ones who sort of run the dressing rooms and run the team, they've been there for a number of years. Isn't it? So, yeah, it will be it will be different uh, and it will be extremely difficult for new players to come into such an environment, although it's a very welcoming environment. I have no doubt about that. You know, I, I think they're very good at, at, at welcoming people in and, and know their responsibilities with new players. But still, it can be a bit daunting. Uh, and also this thing, and the first time I experienced that as a player was in the early 90s, uh, where we're starting to sign relatively big names, which is not something we were necessarily famous for. Uh, we're starting to sell relatively big names. They come into an environment where, you know, what have you ever done? Uh, and, it, and it was a bit like that. You know, last week I was with Steve McMahon and Ronald Wheeler. We were talking about these things, about how cruel the dressing rooms were, especially in the early 90s when the boys came in. We said, well, what, what have we ever done in the game? You know what I mean? Because we all sat there with, with, with heavy metal uh, going, isn't it? And, and it, I'm not suggesting that he's as cruel today, but it can still be intimidating. Uh, so it'll be difficult for everybody. And of course, it'll be difficult for Klopp because with new players, you sort of have to start new relationships. Uh, you know, when you know the players, you have a set routine. Uh, you know what they respond to. Uh, you know how you need to look after them. You know how to. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy 
by searching for Anfield Index. I mean, I've been a manager myself, and there were certain players that I didn't have a great deal to do with. My assistant did that job. There for you. Uh, I was more like, I would take the majority of the group, uh, but if we had a couple of tricky customers, which you always have, I would kind of go assistant, even when I was a kid in Minster. I had the physio involved, because I thought the physio would be well equipped to deal with some of them. Uh, and I would then deal with the, with the bulk of the players. And it would be the same for Klopp. Uh, there'll be so many players who are so easy. Turn up every morning, they're on time, they work hard. No, no, no problems. But then there's the other people that are more demanding. Uh, and uh, he, he might have to give those jobs to Pep or whoever else it is to try and look after the business. So, yeah, it will be a... The good thing with it is that there's no better way of starting at a new football club, Trevor. Pre-season. Away, you know, get away, pack your pack your bag, let's go somewhere where we're together 24 hours a day. I remember when I went to Ajax and that was the first thing we did. Bang, away we went. It was tough for 48 hours, uh, but eventually you kind of go, yeah, but this is the only way to deal with this, isn't it? You know, I mean, I can't go home and sit in my apartment and, and be lonely or want to be back home in Denmark, isn't it? I'm in it, I'm with these guys. Uh, and then remarkably how quickly you, you, you strike up one or two relationships, isn't it? But in terms of the overall picture, and feeling confident in this group, that takes a long time. Yeah, that total immersion, I'd imagine, is a very good thing um, for new players coming in. Um, the, taking the choice out of it, you know, I know when I was a younger man, like my personal choice would have been to be kind of shy and not want to get involved with maybe a new team when I was, you know, social stuff. And it was just... It wasn't necessarily in my bag, but when you had to do it, you were always glad. And hopefully that, as you say, will will, will, will be very much the, 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 the case for our new boys, whoever they happen to be. Just on the topic that I was mentioning there, I've thrown another couple of names there at, into the ring for potential outgoings uh, in terms of Simicus, in terms of uh, Kelleher, uh, one of the two centre-halves that I mentioned, either Joe or Joel. Now, that might be just fanciful thinking on my part, but it, it seems to have some sort of basis in in sense for me. The only other one I can think of that might be on his way due to some rumours is Thiago. Am I missing someone there, Jan, do you think might be an, an also in that category of potentially on the way out? Not, not the ones who are close or involved in the squad. Uh, you know, I, I think you've nailed that. Uh, I can imagine Sean Matip would, would want to go uh, because he'll want to play. Uh, we'll be linked with one or two younger centre-halves for, for, for the future. Simicast is the interesting one. And why he's interesting is because you sense that we might need more help at left-back. Mm -hmm. You and me don't think that Robbo can play at the level for 55 games next season. I certainly don't. I, I, no. I don't think you'll be minimised off that. So we kind of need uh, we need help, and you know, as much as he'll always be a hero, Timikas, I just don't think he's good enough. Uh, and then the interesting one is is Joe Gomez, isn't it? It's like, how does Klopp see Joe Gomez? Uh, I have to be honest, how I see Joe Gomez, uh, and I think this is the clearest I've been on Joe Gomez is that Joe would be better off elsewhere. Uh, take whatever fee you can get, let the kid get on with playing. Still under pressure, but less less pressure. Uh, that, and that would be my feeling right now. I think I've seen enough of him, and it's a combination of injuries and you know not getting into that rhythm and not getting enough minutes or whatever, isn't it? Uh, but you can't you can't have a career without finding out, can you, Trevor? You know, Joe must sit at home and go, I, I need to find out. You know, this Liverpool has been great for me. But I need to find out is, is there somewhere sort of Premier League club where I can play, where I can keep myself fit, where I maybe play less games, uh, maybe because the club I join is not in Europe or whatever. Isn't it? But he needs to find out, isn't it? Because otherwise, yeah. it's a regret for the rest of your life. You go, what about what about if so? He, he, he needs to find out, I think. And he's, he'll be attracted to plenty of clubs. You would imagine so, a, a Palace or a Brighton or you know, whoever might be uh, interested in. There might be sort of deals to be done there in terms of players that we're watching and partial exchanges and all those kind of things. The only other two that I wanted to throw at you as well, because it, it was inspired by something I heard Jürgen say today 
Well, I read the quotes there. I don't know when they're from. He was talking about Fabio Carvalho and he talked about how, you know, he's clearly a talented lad and he came to the club with big dreams. And he said something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, which I don't have the exact quote, but he said basically it it didn't work out, which I thought sounded quite final. Do you, do you know what I mean? And so I'm thinking, okay, Carvalho looks like another one. And in the context of it didn't work out and the finality of that, I'm wondering is alone a thing there or is that another potential sale? And then you are you drift all the way back across uh, to Harvey Elliott and wondering there again, you know, we know Klopp obviously rates him highly and persisted in sort of imagining him as a, as a midfielder for the longest time. Um, so maybe that's wide of the mark. And you can see, I suppose, how perhaps Harvey has squad value. But if you're not getting a game, you don't have squad value. And that would seem to describe uh, poor Fabio Carvalho's situation. Any thoughts on either of the two younger fellas? Well, Carvalho was really interesting when we signed him, isn't it? Because I think everybody who'd ever seen him play would be excited. Mm. Uh, it was him and Harry Wilson down at Fulham tearing up the championship. And you thought, wow. Uh, but then, of course, you always have that worry. Uh, I think the club, when they signed him, knew they had to work with him. Uh, I don't think they, for one minute, thought we got the finish article, he's ready to go. They needed to work with him. Uh, and possibly that's the one bit that where club goes, it hasn't worked out. Uh, I don't think he's made progress in the way they would have hoped for. Final, I think it's final in terms of the most likely is probably alone. Uh, you know, alone with a, with, 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 with a transfer fee uh, agreed. Uh, that's that's how I see that uh, because I think we can either promote from within maybe one or two younger players who if he was in the squad would probably get more minutes than, than Cavalio. Harvey's the interesting one Harvey's never going to be uh, good enough to play in our midfield uh, I think that's blatantly clear that's never going to be the choice and he's never going to get a place up front because of what we have and he lacks a bit of pace as well uh, Again, Trevor, you have my, many of fine players. It doesn't work out everywhere you go. But that doesn't mean you're not a good player, does it? But it's, for some reason, it just it just doesn't work out. I'm not suggesting we're about to, 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 to sell Harvey Elliott uh, uh, and, and possibly not even Cavalio, isn't it? But it is one of... Both of them, you look at and you go, if it hadn't been for ready-made four exits... Uh, the four that we talked about, isn't it? Uh, and all the players would have been locked down under contracts and whatever. It might have been different. Uh, but I think they'll both survive in, in terms of they'll still be on the, on the, on the paycheck at Liverpool. Isn't How much longer? I, I just wonder. Yeah, that's kind of where I am with it. I, I just, there was something about those comments. It just had a sort of a ring of, well, he's on his way out. There's not really any potential future for for the, the the younger man there. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, it, it, something crossed my mind earlier on. I meant to ask you, and it's come back into my head. When you were chatting, and feel free to to just uh, not answer this question as well. But when you were uh, talking earlier on about yourself and, and and Ronnie and Steve McMahon and having the chats about you know that era of Liverpool where. Kenny era was was ending and we were heading into the Graham Sunes era uh, and things were very much sort of coming off the rails a little bit in terms of the dominance of, of the club in the top top um, position. When you were looking at those players coming in and wondering like, OK, these are massive signings, you know, record signings uh, or very close to record signings um, coming in, the likes of would would the guys falling into that category of you you looking at them going okay you've got a great reputation but what have you done in the game I'm, I'm, are you thinking of people high profile signings like Dean Saunders and and, and Paul Stewart would they be the, the 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 kind of guys you're chatting about it's, it's that era isn't it uh, yeah uh, where Paul Stewart comes in Dean Saunders comes in Mark Wright comes in uh, Julian Dix uh, is another one Neil Ruddock follows quickly after. Uh, Nigel Clough uh, was another one, isn't it? Group of players, uh, Mark Walters, uh, and you look, you you, we 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 were never managers, we were never coaches, but you still have it. We have a an almost as good feeling about players as the backroom staff would have, because most would have played against them. 
you know, and you get a feeling, believe me, Trevor, you can be on a pitch, you get a newly promoted team, they come up, and you play them, and like within 15 minutes, you look and you go, these these will survive, or these have got no hope. I mean, and you kind of, I know it's brutal, isn't it? Uh, and that's how it is, and, and sometimes, you know, people people prove you wrong, isn't it? But, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit, you know, what, I, what are these guys, you know, where we're at and what we need and what our ultimate aim is. You looked at those players and you thought, I don't know. I just, you know, and there's nothing worse in it when you kind of go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I wouldn't rather keep Steve McMahon who went to Manchester City or Ronnie Whelan went to Southend as a player manager and Steve Nichol went to Sheffield Wednesday, I think. And, you know, eventually I went and Bushy went to Leeds and John Barnes and whatever. And you're thinking, would we just have been better off maybe squeezing another year out of these? Knowing that we probably couldn't win the league, but also knowing that we probably couldn't finish eighth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a, that's a isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 as brutally honest as that. I think that's it, again. You you you'll forgive me for for poking around the issues. Just I know people get very interested when we when we can have the little flashbacks as well. Uh, it, look, positives for the season, it, it feels a little bit like, I don't know, it feels a bit daft to be talking about upsides to the season. Um, I was thinking there today of, you know, the reality now is Europa League football. And I, I, I think you were very much the same, had made my peace with that. I didn't think this long shot at the Champions League was a thing at all. Once it wasn't in our hands, I, I have no faith in any nonsense like that. If it had been in our hands, I think I'd be, I'd be gutted if we hadn't achieved it. And there seems to have been something really good achieved at the end of all of Klopp's full campaigns, even if it is, you know, late Champions League qualification or whatever. And I suppose that's maybe what had people carried away. Now the reality is is the Europa League. And I, I was reminded of Stevie Gerrard in 2004, before the Olympiacos game, he was quoting the press as saying, um, I don't want to wake up on Thursday morning in the UEFA Cup. And it was a, it was a line that really just stuck with me. Now, I don't think it's necessarily an awful thing. And Klopp was trying to sell it as, you know, we still have European nights at Anfield. And there's something to that, for sure. Um, he was also trying to hint around and talk around the idea of it's going to have a financial impact and nobody wants to hear that Jan. like uh, no fan wants to hear that unless they're this weird variety who seem to support fsg uh, more than they support liverpool which is a, a strange um thing that i've become aware of um have, have we become too entitled do you think is 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 is, is, a, is it a positive that europa league football was attained given how awful the majority of the season was hello i'm here to annoy you i'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on epl index we don't just have the anfield index stuff we've got epl index as well which covers the entirety of the premier league and we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on eplindex.com The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. No, I'm not sure it was a positive, Trevor. I, I think the negative had we not achieved, it would have been bigger than the positivity you're feeling now. Uh, there'll be people, plenty of people putting a positive spin on it. You know, and going it's Europe, it can be worth up to 40 million if, if you win it. And it enable our squad players to get some games. Uh, I think it would have been a massive disappointment if we wouldn't have been, been able to. If you're looking at, you know, our sort of competitors, isn't it? Being Brighton, no disrespect, Aston Villa, uh, and also Tottenham, who's had an exceptional four season, isn't it? So, if even with our problems, couldn't finish ahead of those, it, it, it would have been a real problem, I feel. Yeah, 
Yeah, which is why I do, I feel a bit daft talking it up as a positive. I, I have to say I agree with you on that. And in terms of the squad, it it really does only feel as if the consistently high performer of the campaign was was Alison Becker. Um, if we are sort of casting the net a bit wider, is there something to be said for the that the the nine game undefeated streak in which we saw the emergence of the new Trent thing? Is that it, by the way <laughs> that system? If he doesn't play well, Jan, oh. like like we saw on Saturday, oh Jesus, it just goes to shit, doesn't it? Everything falls apart. We we were just toothless because Trent wasn't on it. Um, I I I I have a real problem with this as a plan going forward. Just personally, it's my opinion. Who who cares what I think? But can we? Could we stretch? That being a positive, the, the emergence of the, the Trent midfield thing. I mean, where, how, where, where are you sitting on that? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Alisson first, uh, and I think that's mm-hmm. a good starting point because Alisson has played behind one of the top defences in the world for the last few seasons and done well. This season, he hasn't. He's played behind a bang average uh, back four, mm-hmm. and he's still been exceptional. You know, so anyone who has ever in any doubt about Alisson don't need to be in any doubt. You know, I mean, even when the people in front of him can't defend, he will still do his job. In terms of Trent, I'm a, I'm a bit like you, Trevor. I mean, I speak to people who are totally carried away with this idea uh, of Trent. My biggest problem with it is that the only other team, Arsenal do to a certain extent, but the one who really do was Manchester City, isn't it? But even before they did this, Manchester City were used to having 75% of possession, which is a whole different way of playing in that we probably have, on average, 15 18% less possession, which makes us a lot more vulnerable, isn't it? So, in terms of that, I think the positive is that Trent is back, playing with a smile on his face, showing us what he can do. Whether this is the way forward, well, I don't know. I'm like you, Trevor. I, 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 unfortunately, I see the negatives before the positives because I'm thinking, if we want to be where we want to be, and that's 90-plus points, You've got to be bang on in most games. That's with and without the ball. So it brings us full circle to a question. It's going to sound incredibly meat and two veg bloke down the pub observation. And maybe that's because what it is, that is exactly what it is. Uh, you kind of feel yourself that you, you might have some understanding of how the, 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 the team is trying to play or tactics or whatever. But when it comes down to it, the voice that's nattering at the back of my head is saying, just fucking play Trent as a right back where he is world class uh, and make allowances for the so-called um, uh, um, shortcomings in the defence or the shortcomings that occur because he is so good going forward and commits so much to going forward by having a more defence-minded right-sided midfielder uh, and adapting the system that way and let him go on quarterback in games from right back, which he's done for successfully for a couple of seasons, or just play him in midfield and thereby allow yourself the solidity of knowing that, you know, it doesn't have to be this fluid, you know, interlinking thing all the time that may go awry. So I'm asking a daft question, and I, I kind of know the answer because I, I, I know it's hard to, to commit one way or the other. But do you, do, you, do you ever have that inkling, Jan? Is it just me? Is, is it just the basic football fan of me that's saying just do one thing or the other? I'm not sure about this hybrid thing. Yeah, because I'm not 100% sure we as a team is ready for that. Um, mm. we, we spoke about this six, eight months ago when, everybody, when, when Trent were having a bad time defending and, and people talking about him and they go, well, why don't you just move him into midfield? Now, I never felt he was going to be a midfield player at Liverpool as young as Jurgen Klopp is our manager. Uh, so now we've kind of got the second best thing. Uh, but I would rather one or the other. Uh, could I see him playing midfield? I really don't know, Trevor. I mean, he obviously has the benefit now where he steps in as an extra. You know, and, and there's a lot of overloads. is not with four against three, four against two, which enables him to do what he wants to do, isn't it? Uh, would that be the same if you played in a midfield three with, with, with more responsibility? Uh, because let's not forget it, the, the moment we kind of lose the ball, he turns his back on the midfield play 
and reverse back to being a right back is myself. I tend to agree with you at the moment, Trevor. Let yeah, I'm Let him play as right back and let's buy some really, really good midfield players and let's take it from there. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether it was just a little uh, sideshow that is abandoned or whether we persist and whether that influences recruitment, because that's a hell of a commitment to a freaking system. I'll tell you that uh, that can only play only occur if you've if you've got the player there. What happens if Trent is injured? And we you know, it's it's an odd one. Um, low key good point to the season for me. And I only say low key because unless you're successful overall, it's hard to be picking out individual players like we just picked out Allison because we're still conceding goals and all the rest of it, but he's doing his job really well. And I think, to be fair, a, a signing that I think many people were underwhelmed by was Cody Gakpo. But right down to last game of the season where he's getting you know, assaulted and karate kicked in the chest and, and, and scoring a perfectly good goal that I... Still don't understand why it was disallowed. Um, I, I, I think he's been not even low key. I think he's been a real positive. He looks like uh, it's a stupid thing to say, Ian, but you'll know what I mean. Every inch a Liverpool player, a Klopp era player, but he could. I could see him gracing any Liverpool team. Um, I'm very excited about what this guy could do um, in the years to come. The good thing is, Trevor, I only hear good things about him. You know, his, his, his desire to want to improve, but also the fact that he knows he needs to improve. Uh, or what I see is above average. You know, I think it's too early to say he's been absolutely outstanding. Uh, but the scene has been above average, and it's most definitely something that we can work with. And I think Klopp looks at the same and goes, I can work with this kid because he wants to be better. Where he needs to, to quicken up a bit is, is in his head, isn't it? But I think that will come. Uh, you know, he's, he's got sort of a, a, a bit of a laboured running style, hasn't he? So he's never going to rely on his pace. He's always going to rely on his timing. Uh, so where he needs to sharpen up a bit is in his mind. Is I think that'll come. Uh, he's a bright boy, and I think he's done well. Uh, again, I wasn't overwhelmed when we bought him. I felt, did we really need him? Possibly we didn't need him. But if the plan is what we look at now, and he's going to be our num- new number nine, false number nine, then it makes sense to bring him in and give him a bit of a head start isn't so no the boys done absolutely fine if you were to talk about you know the 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 game on saturday um just for the sake of touching on it um and again just because there were such controversial issues uh I have seen a couple of people try to explain at me why it was a perfectly good decision um, from a refereeing perspective. I still don't understand it because I can't understand how um, the referees interpreting that action as uh, accidental rather than deliberate, which I think is where it all broke down. If you could have heard the outrage on the cop, Jan, I've never actually heard it as angry as when he was sent to the monitor because everybody's going, how in the name of God is he assessing an offside scenario when the line drawers back at, you know, the the, the VAR central uh, should surely just have something to tell him. But of course, it was because it was a subjective thing. Was this a deliberate action or not? Did you find the whole smoke and mirrors interesting? Because I thought it was quite a couple of things I just want you to comment on. Wasn't it a bit weird that we got the lad who Kloppo had been shouting at as the referee during the game when Kloppo's in the stand? That felt like a fuck you from the uh, boys uh, in authority, I have to say. And second question then is, on the day, there were a few controversial decisions. Granted, he wasn't great for them either, but um, it did f- have a bad whiff to it. And then, of course, we saw Liverpool lodged official complaints about the two big decisions that I've mentioned, and they were dismissed summarily there without even any great uh, conversations. It was just, yeah, we've PGMOL found in favour, blah, blah, blah. It just left a sour taste, Jan. Any sort of conspiracy theory bells ringing in the back of your head with this? I mean, it's 
like I say, the anger was real in the stadium. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, absolutely, I get it all, Trevor. Uh, conspiracy, you know, I refuse to believe in. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I hope over time I'll always be proven right uh, that nothing untowards is, is 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 going on. You know, it's the subjective things. You know, it's offside and offside, isn't it? Uh, so much easier. I, I put it down to a referee uh, who had a bad game uh, for whatever reason. Maybe he also felt the pressure uh, because of what happened the last time he was inside the stadium. Uh, but it is a problem, Trevor. And that's why my advice to you, Trevor, is you're probably better off staying at home watching on TV. Because when you go <laughs> to the stadiums, you get a whole different sort of feel, don't you? You know, there's, Oh, yeah. There's not, there's not, you're a bit more calm in, in your front room, aren't you? But when you're in the stadium, you're part of the theatre, aren't you? You're part of it, isn't it? So you go, what, what? you know, so I can understand that. I can understand your anger, uh, Trevor. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was told you, you you managed to control yourself. So <laughs> I didn't disgrace you. I didn't disgrace you. Don't worry. I, to, to be fair, it was just beautiful to be back. And um, as a fellow who had spent so many, many, many hours accumulated um, standing on the cop, um, it was horrible to be away for so long. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, Jan. You you could have been very dismissive and said, "Oh, it was a one-all draw, and, and we were shite, and um, the Champions League dream died, and all this kind of stuff." And none of that made the slightest difference to me. And it's interesting. Palmoy from work was over with his nipper, and the kid and himself were buzzing off being there for the occasion, that the drama that was uh, Firmino doing what he did. It felt really fitting, didn't it? I mean, the Champions League thing aside, it was like in a game of moments, uh, as in football in general, that was a real moment and a real sort of bonding moment that it was Bobby who did that at the last minute. That that had some significance, I thought. But I also think that you feel that, that bonding when you get to Anfield and you become part of it. You know, instead of sitting at home and watching on TV, when you're there, you feel part of it, isn't it? You know, and I speak to so many people, so many people that, you know, they're just about to visit Anfield for the first time, isn't it? And yeah, of course, I still think that, and I'm not 100% sure it's always like this at Old Trafford, uh, but at, at our place, the game and the result is still the most important. Uh, and, and that's the way it should always remain, isn't it? But I still think that the whole experience now is, is, is off the scale, isn't it? Because it's not just the 90 minutes, it's hours before the game, isn't it? And then it's hours after the game. And there's all the things that is connected to the game. It doesn't almost doesn't matter where you are in the city. There's a connection to the game, isn't it? You know, whereas it's totally different when Everton play at home, no disrespect to them, but when we play at home, it's just, you can't get away from the fact there's a home game, isn't it? So you feel, and you feel a bond with, you don't need to talk to people to feel the bond, do you? You just feel a bond because you, you're part of it, aren't you? You walk up with them and you walk away with them and you listen to them talk and, and you, you, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I think, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I go there a lot, as you know, Trevor. Uh, and, and still, it, it's, it's, it still, it still gets you in a way that sometimes you don't even notice, uh, but it still gets you in a way, isn't that you, it's like, it's almost like you enter the play, isn't it? You know, it's, it, it is remarkable. So anyone listening, if you've never been, Start saving. It's well worth it. Oh, it sure is. Um, you know, it's it is. It's the little moments. Like the the two ladies standing beside me in the cop. I mean, one of them couldn't be more than four foot five or something. She was a tiny little woman, and she sang her heart out. And when that goal went in, oh my god, I got the most um, uh, aggressive hugs you've ever seen, Jan. And those little things make a difference. And even just going out to to the match, I decided to take a bus because I was quite relaxed. I obviously know where I'm going and stuff like that. And I got talking to an L fella who has been going to the game uh, since the 70s. And I had tremendous chats with him about um, that early 80s era, your era then in the mid to, to 80s to, to the, the mid 90s. And those are the things that, that will stay with me. And I have to say, the, the, the fact that I was there when... When Firmino did that right in front of us as well, it was great. It, those little moments, they, they don't leave you. The, the season overall then is what it is. 
we've both sort of shook our heads a little bit and went, yeah, okay, the Europa League is probably the least that we would take from it, whether or not you can count it as a success or not. It feels a bit small time to do so. Not as small time as Bruno Fernandes saying on the pitch uh, that he was delighted that they qualified for the Champions League and obviously delighted that Liverpool had not. That seemed quite small time um, and very much in keeping with what you seem to get from that lad on the pitch. But there is a whole season ahead and I just wanted to take from you if there was any big stories leaving us out of it for a few minutes that, you know, when you think of this season will stick with you. Obviously, an awful lot of people talk about Brighton. Um, I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked, and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And rightly so, because they've been incredible. Not on the two occasions when we really liked them to have been incredible against Newcastle. And uh, for many people, they'd like them to have been good against Everton as well. You know how that goes. Um, but I'm wondering, is any apart from Brighton, any story of the season for you? Any player standout or anything like that that you, you take away as a real sort of um, memorable thing when you think about this season? That's what you think about. Yeah, I think Arsenal. I think Arsenal for 33 games of the season because of the way they chose to do it. Uh, mm. Really, went so to so with, with with Manchester City and play some really attractive football. Uh, I, I thought that was really good. I really enjoyed some of their games, and there was also a lot of drama involved in their games because they're still relatively inexperienced, and you know they couldn't quite manage the games as as well as they wanted to in certain situations. So I thought they were good. Uh, and again, I look at Arsenal. I'm thinking if they buy two for the starting eleven, they'll be there again. Uh, so they've done well. I think Unai Emery coming in at uh, at Aston Villa has been nothing but sensational. We 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 know he's a good coach. Mm-hmm. He didn't prove when he was at Arsenal. Hence the worry you have when he returns to the Premier League. But he's done a really good job, isn't he? But I think, Trevor, it's a season with more disappointments, you know, and, and, and that's without leaving Liverpool out, you know. But you start with Chelsea and you have Spurs and you have West Ham and you have Leeds and you have Everton, you know. The, these these are really disappointing seasons, isn't it? That's, as I said before, that's without mentioning Liverpool or any individuals. Uh, so I think it's been more of a season with clubs who look and go, we didn't get anywhere near what we expected. And, you know, we all have expectations, don't we? So, interesting. Which is only good, Trevor, because then next season, come on, let's get in the game and let's get everybody rocking, let's get everybody going. Isn't it? There, There's a notable absence there from both of us um, that we haven't, either of us haven't acknowledged there, which is Newcastle United. Uh, there's a very famous um, fellow balded, baldy, beardy podcaster guy who does a very famous show. Um, True Geordie is his name. And I was watching some comments from him today where he was chatting, Jan, about how that has been achieved, the Champions League um, qualification, without, you know, huge spending, with you know, without with an awful lot of players who had been battling relegation previously. Uh, and he was laying the success firmly at the feet of the coaching of Eddie Howe. That's, he was saying, was is and was the deciding factor. And I know I've spoken to you about this several times, and I thought, well, I think I've said to you a couple of times, I think he's 
I thought he, he was dead in the water the minute summer comes round. The next stage of the evolution will happen and that'll probably be some top end manager that they can afford to pay and all that kind of stuff who liked the idea of the project. But to listen to him as a, as a guy who watches them week in, week out, and to listen to many of their fans, they do genuinely seem to have a lot of time for Eddie Howe and um, what he's done and the way he does it. Um, do you have any strong take on him one way or the other? I think what Newcastle have done is remarkable. Uh, but they're not the first team to unexpectedly break into the top four. Uh, that has happened before. Uh, I have to say that the longer the season went, the more and more I fell out of love with Newcastle and the way that they play. Uh, you know, with, with the time wasting, and I thought they were over physically in, in, in some of the games. Uh, but Eddie Howe and Newcastle's life will never be the same again because now the expectations are chuckling. Uh, and, you know, doing what they've done this season uh, will be enough again next season. What can they do that? I mean, we are hoping that at the moment we just hope that we return to form, you know, and that might be enough to pinch their top four places. And so Eddie Howe's going to be under intense pressure from now on in, isn't it? Where fans want to take him the next the next step. And very few managers do that. It's you know, I mean, we we were lucky with Klopp, sort of first season. It was quite a season, finished eight and then fourth, fourth, and then away we went, isn't it? But it's tough, isn't it? And you have to keep, you have to keep doing well, you have to keep making good decisions and you have to keep signing players who can improve your team, isn't it? Because as much as I look at them and I go, yeah, but they still need another centre-half, probably need a left-back, probably need a midfielder and Callum Wilson, he's done well this season, but he is injury-prone, so they might even need a new striker, isn't it? So it's not as straightforward as you think. Add to that, the Champions League. You know, I know it's potentially only another six games in the group stage, isn't it? But it's a pressure cooker that they haven't been in for 20 years. That Eddie Howe has never been anywhere near. That the majority of the players have never been anywhere near, you know. So, hey, listen, I wish them well, but good luck trying to deal with all that. Yeah. Now, with those, that everything decided at the top end of the table, we just turn our attention to the bottom for a minute. Obviously, our last game is against Southampton, who've been relegated for a while. Um. And that will be whatever it will be, and, and we'll talk about it briefly towards the end. Jurgen's already talked about freshening it up, which, uh, you know, I guess it's because there's nothing really on the game, and there'll be certain guys getting a, an opportunity, I, I guess is what he's saying there. Um, what do you think happens in terms of the other, uh, the, the ones to join him? Because it's, it's very interesting to look at it there it's it's it is quite tight between Everton Leicester and Leeds and it can turn around uh, on the back of the last game um whether it will or not I don't know do you do you think do, do you see Everton getting dragged into it or do you think it just stays as is there with Leicester and Leeds joining Southampton what's your good feeling on it no, so obviously you know people who are trying to predict the game for the weekend are suggesting that they could all three win uh, Leeds, Everton, and Leicester. And I'm thinking, these are three teams who haven't been able to win a game for months. Yeah. So how do we all of a sudden on the same day think they're all going to win? Uh, I mean, take Everton for instance. No right fullback, possibly no left fullback, no striker who can score goals. They played Bournemouth twice this season already, lost 7 1 on aggregate in two games against Bournemouth, yeah. The, press, the fans are going to put them under pressure that top players might struggle to deal with. Uh, teams in confidence might struggle to deal with, isn't it? The same with Leeds. I watched Leeds last week at West Ham. Dreadful. Even when they went win a lot, 1-0 up. I have to be honest, I went and had a better on West Ham because I just can't see what Leeds are good at. Mm. Uh, Leicester. Leicester just look like a team that's done. I look at them. I look at Madison. I look at Harvey Barnes and some of the other better players and they're thinking they're already working out where they're going to play next year you know what's right in front of them is almost as if that's got nothing to do with me because their safety net is there they will remain in the Premier League uh, but I do think that Everton will, 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 will stay up uh, probably by a draw I'm not sure any of them are capable of winning uh, Leicester play West Ham who's the manager of West Ham David Moyes I mean I'm not suggesting but He'll play a strong team. He's got another 10 days before playing the cup final, isn't it? And Spurs. Spurs got nothing to play with. Spurs have been absolutely dreadful. 
were playing Leeds, who can't organise themselves with with that front two or three. Kane might fancy another couple of goals to get to thirty. Sean's going to get plenty of opportunities, and so and I struggle to see any of them winning. Uh, but I think Everton will stay up, and I think possibly in the long run, Trevor, we still got our two Merseyside derbies, isn't it? You know, historically Everton is is a monster. So it is Leeds. Isn't it? You know, Everton's just been part of the furniture for, for so many years. So that's wisdom. Good luck. I think you're right. I think it's far more likely they all lose. Uh, the, the 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 Leeds have three defeats and two draws in their last five. Uh, Leicester have two defeats and three draws. Uh, Everton have two defeats, two draws, and the solitary win of the three. So I think status quo as well. I'd agree with you there entirely. Just to focus briefly for a minute or two on the last game, just to keep with the formality of the show, um, uh, the last game of the season, which is against Southampton, um, and Jurgen suggesting freshening it up. One of my more cynical pals on Twitter was immediately saying, oh, I guess that means James Milner is starting, uh, which honestly wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, man. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, uh, Jurgen being Jurgen. So uh, do you see anyone, is there anyone that we're, you, you'd like to see get a run, um, you know, that, 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 that hasn't been featuring, seeing as that's what he seems to be suggesting? Yeah, I, I didn't hear that from Klopp that he said he was, you know, he might need to freshen up a little bit. I just thought it was, it would be almost like as we were, you know, yeah. continue, continue with that team, go down, finish the season in a sort of a commanding way, you know, and and, and beat Southampton two or three nil. I thought that would be the one uh, making most sense in terms of is there anyone I'd like to see? No, there isn't. Uh, there's no one I feel the need uh, to see to try and convince me or or, or not so. Uh, so I just thought that. Go with what we got. That would make no sense. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? I, I presume he'll shake it up a little bit in the fence, maybe, and probably then as well. Maybe Darwin Nunes starts something like that. Maybe that's what he means by freshening it up. Um, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of kids or anything. That's for sure. Um, if, regardless of, of of the level of freshening, you think we should have plenty to beat a relegated team who have nothing theoretically to play for except you know there are the like there's the likes of Romeo Lavia who might be thinking well I wouldn't mind playing for these uh, and that can often have uh, quite a powerful impact on a team um, when you look at the fixture though gut feeling Jan how do you see it going just for the last time of the season well the thing with these Trevor and, and you talk about Lavia who is a really really good player uh, but it's it's hot, easy to dishearten people who've got nothing to play for. You know, so I suggest 15, 20 minutes, we get a goal, the bottom falls out of Southampton. Uh, you know, there, there'll be absolutely nothing left. It's a, it's a young, inexperienced squad as it is. Uh, I think it'll be quite entertaining. I think the last days generally are quite entertaining. There's normally another one or two goals added to what we normally think, isn't it? So I wouldn't be surprised if we ran up a bit of a score. So I'll go Southampton 1, Liverpool 4. Love it. Love it. Has a real ring to it. I'll take that all day as well. Well, look, next week and the week after and all the rest of the weeks of the summer, Jan, will be weeks where we can encourage our listeners to get involved and ask questions. And we'll have the maddening reality of the transfer market. The last question to you today is, are you excited by the incessant Alexis McAllister rumours of it being almost done? uh, Or do you sort of file that off in the corner of your brain where Mason Mount, it looks like, is not going to happen. Uh, Jude Bellingham did not happen and several others. Ugarte is not, is, was too rich for our blood as well. Do you find yourself thinking, I'll, I'll wait till I see them in a shirt before I even sort of commit any mental thought to this? Well, yes and no, Joe. I mean, there's obviously been so many rumours and it's not just rumours regarding Liverpool, it's regarding players moving here, there and everywhere. So we're doing this show on a Friday night. I was at Old Trafford last night, Manchester United, Chelsea, and I spoke to somebody really, really reliable. Uh, and I, I said, what can you tell me? He said, well, listen, he said, what I know is that Alexa McAllister is going to Liverpool. Spurs is refusing to sell Harry Kane. And Ruben Nevis is leaving Wolverhampton Wanderers. He said, that's where I'm at at the moment. He said, they're the things, he said, that I 100% believe in. Uh, and if that's good enough for this guy, it's good enough for me. 
so McAllister, I think, will come to Liverpool. Uh, Harry Kane looks like he'll stay at, at, at Tottenham and England. Ruben Neves, wherever he goes, uh, I don't think he'll come to Liverpool, is it? But I just thought I'd mention the three of them because they were the three he kind of hung his hat by and went, this is what I know, he said, and I believe these, uh, these three rumours. That'll do for us. It's a nice way for us to end and we'll have plenty of those in the weeks to come. So, Jan, as ever, thanks a million for today's show. Yeah, it's been wonderful, Trevor. Uh, 48 hours to go off the season, isn't it? And then already we start our next season. That's it, and we can be genuinely excited and not be depressed anymore. So look forward to that. Uh, thanks to Jan. Um, it's been a, a, a difficult campaign, uh, a really rare one for us because all we've ever talked about is wins in the past. But, you know, it's character building and all that. So uh, hopefully we'll be back with a more successful and normal season next year for the two of us to chat to you about. I have been Trev Denny. That was Jan Mulby. This is Mulby in the spot for Amsterdam Next Pro. I will speak to you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.